Introducing season two of this life shit crazy. Yes, sir. We're starting another season because 10 episodes is a good stopping point. No need to drag it out. We just start anew and keep going. Young Adult Musings is reaching its midway point. Um, I recently released episode 4. It's called Dear Self, a reflection-esque episode that's kind of like writing into a journal. I reflect on my work, my current life, and at the end I come to an uplifting understanding. And I think you'd enjoy it. Check it out. Speaking of reflecting, this is also a reflection episode. Uh, You see what I'm talking about? How, you know, the podcasts synergize and they inspire each other? While Young Adult Musings captures a snapshot of my reflection on my work, um, I go deeper into here of my point of view and how I think of things, you know, my perspective on like optimism and positivity and things that I struggle with and want to actively improve on. And hopefully you relate. But before we begin into the meat of the episode, I want to do some shout outs. On my platform, RSS.com, I can see my analytics so I can see where people are tuning in, how many and such like that. And um, I think it's important as a creator to not get super caught up in numbers because you can kind of make yourself feel bad like if one episode didn't do better than the other but i like tracking my progress and i just like seeing where people are listening from and i want to give you guys shout outs regardless of the numbers i'm happy that there's growth it's just it's fucking awesome so let me pull it up excuse the click sorry it's gonna be a little bit because i'm navigating through i'll start from the top and go all the way down so first off um shout out to not applicable that's literally what it says for the city I mean, it has like literally the most downloads from wherever this is or wherever these scattered places are. Fucking cool that you're tuning in. Shout out to San Jose in the United States, Boardman, Brussels in Belgium. What? Like, you're all the way over yonder and you're listening to me? That's fucking cool. Ashburn, Poe de Brady in Czech Republic. Fucking cool too. The Bronx, you know, that's my guys. Kevin, Emiliano, Danico, Felix, Jose, Ronnie. All y'all tuning in. Really appreciate it. If you're not tuning in, you're fake as fuck. Queenstown in New Zealand, what? Dubai in United Arab Emirates, fucking cool. Torquay, Torquay, sorry, in the United Kingdom. Birmingham, also in the U.S. Lutz, Centerville, Battle Creek, St. Cloud, Brooklyn, nice. New Rochelle, that's my guy Reese, he always tunes in. Appreciate you, Brody. Stony Brook, that's my girlfriend Gabby, shout out to you too. Brexville, Sacramento, and Santa Clara, fucking awesome. And as you know, Young Adult Musings is a creative platform, so I, I don't really have like dialogue like this there. So I also want to shout out the people that I'm seeing from, from there too. There's some overlap, which is pretty fucking cool, so I'll shout you out again, because thank you for tuning into both of my podcasts. So shout out to Non-Applicable once again. I really wonder if it's like one city or a mix of cities, like why is it Non-Applicable? Why can't we tell? Everywhere is charted on this earth, like how can you not get it? But whatever. Shout out to the Bronx again, my guys. Ashburn, New York. Just straight up New York, um, not even something specific. San Jose, Brussels and Belgium again. I, I remember um, when I was first, you know, I didn't revive This Life Shit Crazy yet. So I was looking at my analytics for Young Adult Musings and I see Brussels and Belgium. And then I see it also in This Life Shit Crazy. And I'm like, shit, man, this, this guy, this guy, girl, whoever, they're really tuning in. That's so cool. Austin in the US, Jersey City. That's my guy, Joe, my coworker. I appreciate you. And once again, Reese and Rochelle, Stony Brook, Gabby. Akron, and Boardman. Now, let's get into the meat of the episode like we Arby's. I notice I have issues with positivity and optimism. I feel like it's something I've been battling my entire life, but I explicitly have issues when it comes to navigating my career. My experience job searching has not been the best. Like I'm still actively searching. Like, of course, I have something now, and it's working out, and it's, it's paying the bills, but is it exactly where I want to be? No. 
I feel like working on my own things is definitely a step in the right direction. But on the other end of just searching for a job, it's just not working out. So coming out of college, I was positive and optimistic. You know, like I, I found that teaching job and I was I was hype about that because a job out of college, that was one of my goals to come out of college having a job. And after leaving it, I was definitely optimistic that I would find something. I have marketable skills. I have a great work ethic. I'm resilient. The works. And I didn't think the job market would be so bad with someone with a college degree. So with nothing biting and just getting rejections, I noticed that positivity and optimism, it slowly waned. Anxiety set in and seeing my savings drain. Self-doubt grew. I questioned if I was capable of, of anything because I'm applying to all sorts of things and I'm, I'm not getting anything. Job searching and failure makes you question your capabilities and challenges or negatively affects your self-worth. We live in a capitalistic society. All we know is money. So you can feel like nothing when nothing is coming in. I truly wish it were different. I wish everyone could flourish in their hobbies or interests, and we used to be more oriented that way. New York City would provide apartments to artists and allow them to indulge in their creativity. Quick, tragic story. I never met this family member. It was my dad's uncle. He spoke about him very fondly. He was a passionate bodybuilder, and he was so huge he'd have to walk through doors sideways. He had strong hands and would always compete with my grandpa on who could poke their finger through a potato the fastest. Despite his impressive physique, he wouldn't win against my grandpa. He just couldn't. And he was a talented artist. He'd make paintings by burning wood. My grandma has one of his artworks, and it's a snowy cabin. Every time I'd look at it, I'd question how he developed colors through fire. So he had one of these New York City apartments, and on one unfortunate day, three robbers broke in with knives. I believe he killed one, injured the others, but one got away. His injuries were so severe, he couldn't work out ever again. Losing this passion killed his drive for making art, so he just wasted away until he died. This leads into my next reflection point. Our life is as good as our mind is, which makes life extra hard. If you're dealt shitty cards, especially consistently, it's difficult to think you'll eventually receive a good hand. Negativity is a weird comfort place. Nobody wants or likes it, but it's beyond easy to default to. It's something I personally struggle with. I've been told things will get better, and weeks and months will go by with no change. So it sometimes makes it difficult to believe that there will be a better. My problem is I'm super forward-thinking. I don't want to be stuck for weeks or months. I want to change things for the better now. I'm not a very present person. I always have the future in mind. I fear getting older and not progressing, so immediate progress is important. I need to realize even small steps for personal progress is progression, like my podcasting. To touch on positivity and optimism again, for me, it can feel silly at times. There's always something challenging your positive outlook because life is unpredictable. You can't even project that something will change for the better soon because life has its own timeline. Essentially, there isn't always a yield to being positive and or optimistic. It's definitely healthy to adopt, but for me, it's difficult to maintain. What I'm trying is holding myself accountable for negativity. Instead of feeding the negative spiral and descending further, I check myself. I sever the link and just stop. I feel like in those specific moments where I sever the link, I'm present. It's like a return back to reality. From then on, I need to ensure I don't drift back into a negative state, though. This is what I mean for how it's a weird comfort place that's easy to default to. As an example, I'm on the train heading to work. I'm like, ugh, fuck work. Maybe wondering who's going to get up so I can grab a seat. Think about what stop I'm at, and I'm like, oh, damn, there's so many damn stops. But it's whatever. And then there's a switch and descent. All of a sudden, I'm investing my noggin power in replaying resentment I had towards my dad. In that moment, I'm making myself mad. So I notice what I'm doing, and I sever the link. 
Now I return back to reality. I'm back on the train, headed to work, looking forward to drafting podcast episodes. It'd be so interesting having a psychologist on the podcast so we can analyze what I'm experiencing because there's terminology and science to all of it. I actually had a really dope therapist one time who would educate me on what I was experiencing. It helped immensely having a scientific and psychological understanding of what it is. In case you're struggling with it and have no idea what it is, I had major issues with something called cognitive distortions. Just so you know, the top post in Google is not the best or most reliable. That's a paid for spot. They use a lot of keywords and shit to get there. But because it's Harvard and a .edu site, which is reliable, I'll humor them. So, health.harvard.edu states cognitive distortions are internal mental filters or biases that increase our misery, fuel our anxiety, and make us feel bad about ourselves. Yikes. Our brains are continually processing lots of information. To deal with this, our brains seek shortcuts to cut down our mental burden. How can something be so efficient and also fuck us at the same time? Like, what the fuck is the brain? Sometimes these shortcuts are helpful, yet in other circumstances, such as with these unhelpful cognitive filters, they can cause more harm than good. Amen. There are many different types, and the main ones are as follows. Black and white thinking, or all or nothing thinking. An example, I never have anything interesting to say. Jumping to conclusions, or mind reading. The doctor is going to tell me I have cancer. Jesus, that's real. Personalization. You know, you're internalizing it that it's your fault. Our team lost because of me. Shoulding and musting, which is using language that is self-critical that puts a lot of pressure on you. I should be losing weight. Mental filter. Focusing on the negative, such as the one aspect of a health change that you didn't do well. I am terrible at getting enough sleep. Overgeneralization. I'll never find a partner. Sorry, I'm actually pausing because, yeah, that was that was one of my old cognitive distortions. That's, wow. Magnification and minimization. Magnifying the negative, minimizing the positive. It was just one healthy meal. Fortune telling. My cholesterol is going to be sky high. Comparison. Comparing just one part of your performance or situation to another's, which you don't really know, so that it makes you appear in a negative light. All of my coworkers are happier than me. Catastrophizing. Combination of fortune telling and all or nothing thinking blowing things out of proportion. This spot on my skin is probably skin cancer. I'll be dead soon. I feel like catastrophizing is also rooted into OCD. OCD can make you, oh my god, it, it, it absorbs you in specific thoughts and specific things and you cannot break out of it. That's just my two cents though. Labeling. I'm just not a healthy person. And disqualifying the positive. I answered that well, but it was just a lucky guess. So my out of high school and college self was definitely struggling with overgeneralization, magnification and minimization, definitely comparison as well, because I just had huge self-esteem issues, just thinking like I'm not cool enough and stuff, and probably some labeling. For those struggling with their self-image and self-esteem, just know no matter if it's the future, the now, the past, you've always been enough, and you're fucking awesome. So I noticed I've defeated some of these cognitive distortions but I still struggle with some today. So that tells me it's an ongoing battle. And I need to be more conscious about the way I think. Because that's how you deal with them. You notice like how you're thinking about yourself and your point of view on things. And you immediately change it. Because it's not all true. We just tend to default to emotional reasoning and delve deep and double down into something that's just completely wrong. We out here with psychology segments today. Because there's something else that I learned about human nature called the hedonic treadmill. It's honestly shaking my core and widen my eyes and making me think something's got to change. It deals with our satisfaction as humans. I don't know about you, but 
I've noticed throughout my life, I haven't really enjoyed my accomplishments. I'm kind of immediately like, oh, there's this next thing. Like, for example, past middle school, it's like, okay, but now there's high school. Graduated high school, it's like, oh, but now I got college. Graduated college, and it's like, well, now I'm onto this life shit. I haven't really enjoyed any portion of it, and there's a reason for it. So the hedonic treadmill impacts our happiness levels. And there's a section about it um, where our happiness levels return to normal after a traumatic event, but that's not what I want to highlight on. The hedonic treadmill also works in reverse. When we experience something good, we don't continue as happier people. Our happiness levels return to what they were before the good event as if it didn't matter, resulting in unfulfillment. Our desires grow deeper as we feed them. We're never satisfied. I was discussing this with Reese. I, I feel like like the culture in America also definitely doesn't help this. Like, the, yes, this is a behavior of human nature, but I feel like the culture that you're embedded in does not support it. And here in the U.S., we're stuck in a constant cycle of productivity. Do more, work more hours. You're not hustling enough. When in reality, we don't have enough time to enjoy what we have. Like when you have your days off, are you ever recharged and ready to go back to work? No, it's always back to this shit. The solution is enjoying what you enjoy to enjoy it. Don't have strings attached. Like for me, I enjoy podcasting. I'm passionate about what I put out. And I've had people immediately go like, oh, when the money comes in, that's going to be great. Absolutely. But I can't enjoy being creative first. I can't enjoy creating something in the hopes that it helps people. We always put strings attached to the things we enjoy. Like we always have to do something, but it's like, no, you can enjoy something to just enjoy it. And we need to do that more. I hope you've enjoyed these psychology segments and learned something that can make living at least a bit better. I'm a big fan of subjects like psychology, sociology, philosophy, so I wouldn't mind incorporating them more. I feel like they can grant extra insight into this life shit. Alright, I'm going to close out with a message I've been living by, and that's acting on your highest excitement. Honestly, why would you deprive yourself of that? Why would you deprive yourself of the thing you want to do most? And lately it's been podcasting, and it does make me happier. So I hope you act on your highest excitement, whenever you can. See you in the next one, and don't forget to check out Young Adult Musings for more content.